Hey there, Christy Lynn Hanshi, AWOL Zebra, and you know I love it when we have a fantastic interview coming up, and I always like to think we do. Now, this gentleman I have been speaking with for a few months, I find him fascinating. What he does is an, it's incredible for us with this illness, with connective tissue issues. I'd like to welcome him to AWOL Zebra, John Rodas. Hi there. Thank you for coming on AWOL Zebra. How are you today, sir? Hi, Christy. Thanks for having me. I really look forward to talking to you. And uh, I'm having one of those, you know, high flu days. You know, with the, we always talk about fatigue being a, like having a cold or a flu every day. I've got one of those severe ones, but this, I wouldn't miss this for the world. Well, I, I understand and I sincerely appreciate it. And I know our listeners will. And I've always been told, the show must go on. That's how it was when I was a district. Right. And, and when I say that, I, we don't consider what we do as a show, but we mm -hmm. consider what we are trying to do as important. And yeah. you just brought up how you're feeling. I like to stress with individuals. I, and I appreciate working with individuals that have my illness that have experienced it firsthand because they genuinely know what I'm going through yes. and they genuinely want to help. They just don't talk to me for two hours and then go, now, how, how do you want to pay your $5,000? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you've been there, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so you've actually been there. So let's talk a little bit about what got you, John Rodas, to the president of the Connective Tissue Coalition. Where did it all start? Wow, yeah, it, it's, there's always a beginning. And sometimes that beginning, you never would have imagined even happening. But I had a pretty lucrative career. I was an executive consultant toward the end of the career. I, I say end of the career, I didn't mean it to be the end of the career, but my body just was giving out. And I had to file for disability. And it was very crushing for me as, as for everyone to file for disability, very emotional. I found it a very lonely process. There really wasn't anyone to help me other than my wife, of course, helped me, but the, there was no organizations that had any disability support. So I made it, I'm a very determined person. I made it a point to learn the process. And then I said to my wife, after I uh, got approved, which I got approved actually in five months, which is extremely fast. I said to my wife, I wanna help other people go through this process because this is the most lonely uh, process and it's hardest thing to endure because this is your life you have to get approved and you and you need that you need the approval for social security to continue to survive for me in my career uh, i worked maybe 12 years longer than i should have i probably should have filed 12 years earlier mm. but then that's my stubbornness chris christy <laughs> yeah my wouldn't let me to and that actually i did worse damage to my body in those 12 years so when i did file then it was became a point of oh boy i uh, i'm not going to get the money i got before but sure but i wanted to help other people and that's where my national disability and medical advocacy started at that point gotcha yeah and, uh, now mm -hmm. what exactly how were you able to go from were you 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 sick all of your life and you just were putting off the imminent or did was this something that happened when you were at the height of your career and then you had to reroute the direction of your mm -hmm. dreams i mean how did this happen because it it's not like you just you got sick and then oh you started this organization mm -hmm. I mean, right it, right it, oh it wasn't easy no that's a very good question because when i guess the Good way to do it is to describe it from the beginning. I, I was diagnosed when I was eight years old with a condition known as Marfan syndrome, mm -hmm. uh, which is a connective tissue disorder it's of the of the fibrillant, uh, as Alex Allers Danlos is collagen, Marfan's is fibrillant. So at eight years old, it was pretty, it was, that was a long, long time ago. I'm 65 years old. Uh, so that was in 1966. And when I was diagnosed, they really didn't have much to tell me about what was going to happen. All I knew was that through the years to come, my body was always achy. Uh, I was always a little weak and a little dizzy at times. I just thought that was just me growing up. Like, that's usually what everyone's been told. 
right. when you have structural issues, it's it's just the body. It's you're, you're just you your body's just growing up. That's just what it is. But it was more than that. And I always have had issues with pain and fatigue, and uh, other issues. But I kind of just kept pushing through it, pushing through it, pushing through it, until I was 31 years old, and that's when I had my major aortic dissection, uh, and that was due to Marfan syndrome. Um, large aortic dissection, very, very lucky to survive that. But I kept plugging on with that because I was at the kind of the mid stage of my career. And I continued on stubborn as well, stubborn as I was. <laughs> and, and, you know, and just like with you, Christy, the motivation, uh, the, the fact that I, I was too stubborn to give up, I wasn't going to file for disability, which I kind of wish I did. And then that led me to this career of helping other people because I'm, I'm a person that doesn't like to, I like to right a wrong. I like to help fix a problem. That's what I'm really best at in my career. And that works fantastic in this advocacy work because my ability, my high, high level of organization and ability to get stuff done in a short period of time really is helping now because, because of my energy level is so bad. Right. Well, I just I can't I can't imagine because in the short amount of time that this has happened to me I'm I'm still now finding that every day a little bit of oh yeah I still haven't quite accepted it yet mm -hmm. I still haven't quite accepted it yet and you were able to continue on you fought for yourself unfortunately you went longer than you should have, mm -hmm. but you were still able to continue on and become a national disability advocate. You do not charge people for this. No. You are just trying to help individuals mm -hmm. with it. You're spreading awareness. And at times, are you like me doing it from the supine position? Are you <laughs> stuck in bed? <laughs> Yes, uh, yes, yes. There's times when I'm basically slumped over at the computer keys, uh, just trying to get through what I have to do. And Chris, you like me, you keep pushing and put. And a lot of people, of your viewers, I'm sure, are the same way. You just, it's like that song. I don't, sorry, I can't remember the band, but I get knocked down, but I get up again because nothing's going to keep me down. That's oh my gosh, feel funky, feel good. I've got the music in me. That's my song, <laughs> Kiki D. <laughs> well, you, you just, you don't, you don't give up. You know, you can't yes. because it's just, but I understand, and I know you do too, the hardship and the sorrow of being sick. It's really not easy. It's very difficult. But I always look to the fact that we're all, all of us with chronic illness, we're all family. And we all walk these same steps together. And we're not, you're never alone, even if you're at, alone in the room or your home, we have each other. And uh, that's not to mention it's meant in a sappy way, it's meant in a truthful way. And that's one of the things that's led me onward is, is, is my upbringing. My mom always brought me up to be, uh, to do things to help others if you can do that. And if you are gonna be a leader, which I have become a leader, you have to lead the way you should lead and care about everyone and not for the purpose of putting coin in your pocket or to make yourself a name but to actually do what's right in helping people because there's so many things we need help with. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and you got, when you brought up that and it resonated with me, it felt great. I, I do want to ask you during the course of our conversation, I don't know if you have a microphone, but there seems to be like a little bit of a sound coming through when you're talking, I can still hear you fine, but oh. there does seem to be like a, like a, a short, I'm not losing any of your voice, but like an extra little tapping or something comes in. And I think it's from your end. I wanted to let you know, but it sounds fine because I, but I just wanted to let you know if okay. in case it was on your end, but no, you did bring up a very good point. Mm -hmm. The family yes. I found that I could pick up the phone in the middle of a crisis and I could contact somebody that has my illness across state lines, just to have them pick up the phone and say, I understand mm -hmm. more than I could somebody 10 minutes away from me because they don't really know how to handle it. Yeah. So you do become a family as yeah. sappy as it sounds. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And, and it's hard because uh, sometimes the most painful things can happen from our friends and our family because they don't understand. 
And that's why I work really hard and I've written articles about it to kind of awaken people is what, what it's like to have an invisible disability, to have a chronic illness. And I make it relatable because I make it to, to, to points that they can understand, just like in the medical community when I raise awareness. I say for people, for a lot of us with energy and pain, it's like having a cold or a flu every day, you know, and everyone's had a cold or a flu, you know, or if I talk about fatigue, I'll mention something like, you know, not being able to take a shower every day. So that gives, you know, that, wow, you know, people, people say, especially doctors will say, wow, you know, it should be invigorating. It should be something you look forward to. No, not, not for somebody who has very little energy and has other issues. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's important, but, but another important thing is there's some people you're never going to change. You're never going to change their mind. True. So walk onward. If it's family, then just try to <laughs> lower your stress and dealings <laughs> with them as much as you can. No, you're, you're exactly right. We have to kind of choose our own battles when it comes yeah. to this illness. And mm -hmm. I have found that, you know, that whole, you can lead a horse to water. There are some yeah. people that just, just have been given this diagnosis and they're not, they're just waiting for stuff to be given to them. They're done. They don't mm -hmm. feel like going any further. And then there are others that are like, no, I can't accept this. I have mm -hmm. to do it. And and then there's also so many different levels for each of us and, yes. and how we are effective are affected by the illness. And, and of, of course we're going back to the, the foundation, the thing that brings us all together is mm -hmm. the connective tissue. Yes, absolutely. And that's all I have been studying. I, I did not really know anything about EDS. I just know mm -hmm. that my body quit working because my fascia mm -hmm. was at ease. My connective tissue had yeah. ease. Mm -hmm. And I had to, to remedy this problem. And of course, everybody that can really do anything is not covered by insurance. Yes. New modality. And you're mm -hmm. just sitting there thinking, oh my goodness. And the connective tissue, I believe, originally was, what, tossed in the trash during the cadaver part of medical mm -hmm. because it wasn't worth studying? No, the fascia, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and now that's, you know, it's everywhere, mm -hmm. that's all they're studying. So what led you mm -hmm. to, 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 to start the, con the Connective Tissue Coalition? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, I, for years, actually, a lot of people, including doctors, have kind of hoped that I would start something, but I was always afraid to because I figured it would be too much work and I wasn't well enough to do it. But then what drew me to it was I just got tired of seeing things just moving too slowly as far as research goes, right. things moving too slowly as far as support and awareness. Uh, it's 2024, you still can walk into most hospitals and they won't know what most of these conditions truly are and their comorbidities. And I find that just inexcusable mm -hmm. because my connective tissue coalition was born last year. You know, she's a, a young, she's a young girl in diapers and she's learning. We call her because she's female and strong <laughs> <laughs> and she's learning, but she's going to need time to get stronger and build. But I, but the coalition has been built with people that I've known through the years that are just amazing, really care about what they're doing, care about the people and truly understand what these conditions are about are as best as you can as you can because there's a lot of stuff we do not know nobody knows but that's why we're learning but i, I did mainly start it because of all good reasons not to make a coin not to uh, in fact everything we do is going to the money we receive is going to go into research and the support and awareness efforts we have a lot of that stuff doesn't cost much money to do support and awareness it has to do with proper procedures proper um, education. The education has to be taken into the medical schools and into the hospitals. These other modalities are good, but they're not enough right. to change the message in the medical schools and in the hospitals. It just isn't going to happen. And that's why the coalition is one of the main purposes to up the research, make research, open doors and find answers because there is that ability, but we can't continue to have research that's just peripheral and the same old, same old. No, I, I've got you. <laughs> I completely understand. And even though being uh, a new, a new little baby, a new little girl, <laughs> tissue coalition. I mean, I, I, I've, it. 
when you when you read about the organization and the wonderful individuals that you have have with you, it it it's an impressive group of people. Thank you. And yourself included, and it's it's giving me hope, knowing that there is someone that is not out there just waiting for me to give them money so that they mm-hmm. can possibly give me an answer. It's nice to know that you are out there and that yeah. you are fighting, and you it just it just gives me hope, and that makes me want to fight. And that's what I'm hoping individuals will, will want to do. We have to, it, it's yeah. like when I started working with people and talking about fascial remodeling and, mm-hmm. and working with your fascia, I was having to introduce words like sticky fascia and things mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. I, I'm like, if we stick together and we use common words, yes. we go into a doctor, we sound, rather than saying, it feels like there's a rubber band pulling from my shoulder down to my hip bone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they look, mm-hmm. okay, uh-huh. And look, yeah. you know, no. So, uh, mm-hmm. no, that's- Yeah, I, I, I appreciate, you know, first of all, I want to say, I really appreciate kind words. It means a lot to me. I think the messaging is really super important. Um, speaking of Ellers Danlos, you know, it is not rare. And really, everyone has to stop saying it is because that's stopping researchers or doctors to give it any respect. Doctors that I know, I work with a lot of them say, if we hear rare about any condition, we we figure we don't need to learn it because we're hardly going to ever see it. Well, Ehlers-Danlos, they're seeing it, but you're not recognizing it. It's rarely diagnosed. mm -hmm. In my little area Mm -hmm. alone, we didn't know about it. And now that I found out about it, do you Mm -hmm. know? many people that I could throw a rock to that have yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, a- a- absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, what we also want to be very careful of is the separation of uh, breaking. Oh, they have HS, you know, hypermobile spectrum disorder. They have that. I don't like those categories because they HSD and EDS, hypermobile EDS are extremely similar and have multiple comorbidities they share. So I don't see the distinction. Me? And that's what, it's it's dangerous to to actually run on things that are actually aren't accurate. And you are right. There's a lot of people that have allergies that have no knowledge of having it because their doctors themselves don't have it on their radar. Or, or in addition, they don't know the comorbidities. Let's say mast cell or POTS, or you know th- these things. Th- there are certain things that just point directly to the condition. But I, I, w- I would be amiss if I didn't say, now this is a big one, it's also is Marfan syndrome is not rare. Now, some people might hear and go, what? Well, because the, the number for Marfan syndrome was one in 5,000. That's, that, you know, who knows who came up with that number, but that's the number they, that usually is said. Well, 40% of those, 40% of people have Marfan's are not tall uh, or they're not thin. So they're totally missed on the radar. And unfortunately for many families, and I, you know, respect any family that's listening to this that's happened to them with their loved one, have died because they, they were not suspected of having Marfan syndrome. We have to stop that as well. Marfan's don't have to be tall and thin. And I, and I, I think those, I think it definitely is not a rare condition. But I'll tackle it at another time. Right. Um, you know, Christy, it's 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 all it's all comes down to what's accurate. You know, that's the most important thing of any condition. What's the what's what is this condition truly is versus what's their speculation that it is, you know, or that that's oh, Ehlers Danlos can't be diagnosed as a child. Well, that's a huge mistake. Yeah, you need to diagnose a child that has Ehlers Danlos, and it's absolutely possible to do that. What or at least at minimum suspect it. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 that was my fault. No, because you you got me right, right there. Because what I did was when it was first suggested to me that I was hypermobile, I said, okay. Mm -hmm. And then they brought up Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And then when I looked at everything, I went, well, gee, mm-hmm. a doctor had had all of this information in front of them. I had every single thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> everything that was there. And mm-hmm. I am finding things in my adulthood that I thought were normal because they were normal to me through my life that I'm now finding out weren't normal. And the only saving grace that I have, I, I, I started a wall zebra because I felt lost 
and nobody else wanted to talk about the fashion. Nobody else, you know, they, it was we were focused awesome. on one thing. And I yeah. said, but this is what I truly believe. And it's helped my son. And I know this, I mm-hmm. wanted to know I helped my son. And I'm like, if I could yeah. help anybody else, that would be great. But what I've noticed uh, is mm-hmm. I see the signs of what happened to me during childhood that my son has had happened that I didn't necessarily speak to my mother about. And so it right. opened up a conversation bridge for the two of us to our son. I think mm-hmm. I'm you're going through, is this happening? And so I believe at 14 or now he's 16, my goodness, it's 14 when we mm-hmm. started, that he is now going to get better because we started looking at it, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the mother's perspective, I went from the patient's perspective. The doctor was like, just because you have it, let's just wait till he exhibits. I said, no, because mm. I don't know what he's not telling me. Right. Very good. Yes. Okay. All right. So and there's, there's a lot of things that he's not registering either. Right. You know, because it, I, 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 in my 23 years of doing advocacy work, uh, which is, I'm a national dispute and medical advocate because they're, they're intertwined. The reason why this is important for me to state that is I deal with, I've dealt with tens of thousands of people in, in different conditions, especially Ehlers-Danlos and Marfan syndrome and Lowe's Dietz. And when I have that kind of exposure all these years, I know what's common, what isn't common in these conditions. So when I'm helping somebody or helping try someone to suspect a diagnosis, I'll ask them questions that, about the comorbidity. So let's say with you and your son years ago, uh, and I had talked to you, I would have said, well, does your son have issues with Novocaine? Does, does Novocaine work for them? When they go to the dentist, you know, and they'll say, "Oh, wow, they need—he needs two shots," you know, or does he have issues with certain smells that really bother him, uh, or you know, or uh, oh, sounds really bother them, you know, loud sounds, they have tinnitus. So I go through the list of very common comorbidities of hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos, and some of the other EDS types as well, because there's, there's others. But that's what I do with Marfan's, and I do with um, Lowe's D's. I talk about. You know, I ask them about these these comorbidities, and you would be surprised. Well, not you won't be surprised. I know you know this, but it's EDS that has the most comorbidities in any condition. I, I work with over 200 conditions in my 23 years. It has far more comorbidities than anything else, and that that that's a that's actually a, not a great thing to be, but it's also an easier way to target what possibly it is that it is HEDS. No, that's and. Mm-hmm. I get so excited because I'm like, oh, he's right. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, what happens is, and this is for people to know, because with Lowe's Deed syndrome, uh, for those that don't know what that is, that's named after Bart Lowe's and Hal Deeds, who uh, found the gene, or now genes, of Lowe's Deeds. For years and years and years, people were passing away with aneurysms and dissections that were beyond the aorta. So with Marfan's, it's usually the aorta that the aneurysms are, are where they are. But people are having aneurysms in their head and their dissecting areas and you know things that had nothing to do with the aorta itself. So that's when they said, there's this something going on here. And that's when they identified through not just the two of them, of course, and their wonderful teams around the world, uh, the genes for Lowe's Dietz. So we have hope for HEDS because I think there's gonna be multiple genes for that. Um, so. So sometimes I run in a tangent because I'm very passionate about oh. getting things done right. No, I completely understand. And, and I'm always, when somebody starts something and they mm-hmm. go down that rabbit hole, I'm like, I'm very passionate about this. So if you're asking me and you want to mm-hmm. know, it's going to mm-hmm. be a doozy, but I'm ready to tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Chrissy, what I'm fascinated, well, a lot of things I'm fascinated about you, but the, the facial work that you're doing See, uh, I don't even know if it's fascia or fascia. Which, what is, how do you pronounce that correctly? It's like potato, potato, but I, <laughs> I just know okay. fascia. I just say fascia. Yeah, I find it fascinating because it has been, it was not considered really anything. For years and years, it was no significance. And now all of a sudden they're realizing, wow, it does have a lot of significance. And I also feel, and I tell this to medical students, everything should be on the table and doctors. Everything should be on the table. You shouldn't always think like everything, look through a tunnel and just have tunnel vision. You need to look outside the box because that's where normally you're going to find a lot of answers. And that's really, that's how they found the issue, the um, benefits of treatment for fat, for fascia, fascia 
is because they 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 started somebody was starting to look into this and go hey this is interesting manipulation can help improve this person's health you know so everything has to be on the table you know you're right everything has to be on the table and I, let's see i think since february 8th i ended up i've been in the hospital rushed violence mm -hmm. because the doctors thought i was having a stroke i said no a fascial yeah. adhesion popped in my neck. I felt it decompress. I know what's happening. Words were slurring. They were insisting I was having a stroke. I get there to the emergency room, of course. Hours later, I'm still flailing. I still have the muscle spasms. Yeah. They have no answers mm -hmm. for this. And, oh, well, whatever. But I was able to get into Maryland. And I mm -hmm. have been able to f get the in the creators of fascial counter strain and they are probably the fourth group of people that only work with fascia that have said, I am the most complex case that wow. seen. And I'm like, somebody study me because, <laughs> you know, I, want Good, to, I hope so. You know, I want to help because if I could just do something, because everything that I have done only with mm -hmm. my fascia, I've, I've had, I've had the nerve stimulators. I've had medications. Mm -hmm. I've done therapies. I've done everything and everything would set me back, but increase my brain fog. Great. Yes. Reduced when I got rid of fascial adhesions that were in my jaw from when I wow. in 1975, yeah. 50 year old adhesions. Wow. And I started thinking clearly again. And I'm like, but I'm not quite mm -hmm. there yet, but I started noticing a difference and blood coming, mm -hmm. breathing and my mm -hmm. to eat. Things were starting to come back. So the fact that it has only been non-invasive mm -hmm. modalities that have helped me is fascinating to these people. Mm -hmm. But then they look yeah. at me and they're like, you don't present with the normal regular symptoms they like you've got every comorbidity you've got all mm -hmm. the things but all of these other things are in addition and we haven't seen it and yes then you're just they, they don't do any research christy that center that you go to they don't do any research are they, are they connected with anyone that does they, well they say and I, well i asked them i said look you, you they're getting ready to do uh new deeper uh techniques into the into the brain area and they're having classes for that and i'm like well do you have like test rats right <laughs> <Me>? <laughs> i'll be a test right that's right right they they don't do that but i i'm going back again and I, i'm going to talk because i'm i'm a rather don't take no for if i yeah. no, i'm not sure i quite heard you correctly so i need to come back again <laughs> yeah well, one thing one other thing i'm really good at is initiating research so it's not just supporting research you know, or our, you know, like our coalition isn't just going to just get grants and, and support research that's out there or stuff that comes to us. We're going to actually, we are actually initiating research. So that's something that I can help you with. And what I would do is first, I'd ask you to do is to take a look and see who is doing patient research around, not just the country, around the world. Okay. And don't hesitate to contact them, to talk to them. See if you can set up a virtual and talk with the researchers. And if, I'm, I'd be happy to help you do, to, to do that and to organize it with you. I'm always happy to have anyone who wants to initiate research, but that's very important research because you've seen benefit, huge benefit from it. And that could help a lot of people because everybody has fascia, fascia yeah. in our bodies. <laughs> oh my gosh, because I just, just as a test, my husband doesn't have the illness, but he had a bad back. So mm -hmm. I had him do the same things that I was doing for where I had it adhesed to fascia and he actually got improvements. So Good. I know Good. Help people without the condition and it's definitely been the only modality that has not set me back. No, I appreciate mm -hmm. that. I, I definitely, because like I said, I, I don't want to leave my body to science. I'm not ready for that yet, but I'll be no. there. At no. No, you want to, like everyone does, we want to improve, we want to make our quality of life better, much better, but we have to do it in steps. And and one thing is everyone can make a difference. Okay. You don't have to be a Christy or a John. You could be anyone that's listening to this. And, and I'm always happy to show how you can do that because it's, it's definitely doable. 
I've individuals have done some amazing things. People who, who have had the condition or a loved, loved one have done some amazing advocacy work and have gotten so much done as an individual and as a family. And there's a lot of power to that, but never try to reinvent the wheel. See what's out there first and then reach out and, and see if anyone would be interested. Maybe they might say, wow, you're, you are a lot different. You are unique. They might take this on. Um, um, oh, I because that that's been my whole thing. I mean, you know, like you said, I I desperately I need to make a living, mm-hmm. but I looked at it where I, I didn't want to make a living off of the people that I wanted to help. I, I wanted to go back into what I could not do, which was radio. So the podcast mm-hmm. was the next best thing, and I'm like. I can get sponsors mm-hmm. perhaps and that would mm-hmm. still share all of my information because I lost so much money to individuals that just kept taking my money. So yeah. that upset me. So I gave back the only way I could think of. And that was once I got my voice back mm-hmm. was to do the podcast and oh, wonderful. The, that's wonderful. how I did it. But I never mm-hmm. thought about, you know, like what you said, don't yes. feel because, because it's so hard. There, there are, there are a lot of podcasts out there that are about EDS, yes. but it's a lot of medical and I'm trying to present the patient's perspective. And That's great. Mm-hmm. what's so wonderful about you is that, as I said, the individuals that have come after me for money that guarantee me help, I've never mm-hmm. seen their bad days. Mm-hmm. I've, right. I've never heard, you know, I've heard you mention to me brain fog in our several. Mm-hmm. I've heard you mention illnesses so i mean i know for a fact that you're you're dealing with this and the fact Mm -hmm. that you are dealing with this and you're still continuing even while you're battling Mm -hmm. your own issues is just it's just admirable to me because i mean i'm sure you have to to fundraise and stuff yeah yes and that's where the with the coalition i have to do Fundraising and, and just like for yourself, you should definitely get sponsors because the work you're doing is fantastic. Uh, the coalition, you know, definitely have to fundraise, but and I hate fundraising. I just I just hate it. But this is so important because we're not like any other organization. The money when people donate or anyone donates, they're going to know where the money's going. They can tell us where they want to put it, what type of research, uh, or they just want to just donate to the coalition itself because we do have. Uh, you know, costs, but majority of the dollar is going to go to research because that's the most important thing. The support and awareness is absolutely, that can absolutely help in that regard because I already do that anyway in my my advocacy work itself. This is just, a, that's where I should say, Christy, I started the coalition because I wanted to create a much larger platform where I can get far more done uh, and have a lot of team members help out because I have a wonderful family of team members that I put to, put together and they're all so passionate, but we can make a difference as sick as we are. And you are right. It's, it's sometimes we have to say to ourselves, I need to take care of myself. Sometimes I need to relax. I need to, you know, listen to my body, but the passion, and I know you have it too, the passion I have to make a difference. Cause I don't, I hate when people suffer. I know I'm suffering. So I understand it, but there are ways to alleviate a lot of that suffering. And that's what I want to try to do with the coalition. And then with my individual work, of course, my advocacy work, I want to help people start support groups. I've done that for years. People aren't even aware of that. I want to help people get better, build medical teams in there for themselves. I want, I want to show people how to deal with legislative bodies and how to make them work for you and work with you, not just for you, with you. Um, There's a lot of things, but, you and I both, we have to look how much energy we have and we have to organize ourselves as best as we possibly can. And that's what I'm really good at is organizing my time. I always have been, but um, as you can tell, my passion is, is I wanna make a difference in the world. I wanna do it for all the right reasons. And I hope I always do. No, I, I, I appreciate that very much because I, I do have, uh, my friends have pointed out that I have a strong aversion to people trying to take advantage of me or, you know, befriending me for the wrong reasons and then quickly leaving because I didn't want to partake in their little 
mm-hmm. scheme or what you know to me it was it was like you were just talking to me because you wanted me to buy something I don't like that I want no. you to want to be there for me and and why I'm mm-hmm. trying to create with Awa Zebra a community and yeah. after you know finding out everything that you're doing I'm like well I can't be on that level that's that you know I was a disc jockey before I I, I wasn't doing what you were doing and I needed this was the only way I could find to try to give back and yes it's a great way to do you are doing so much I just it's it's it just it just makes me want to do better you know, even if you will, and I'll be happy to help you in every way, Christy. Uh, you, you, the, 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 I want to always tell people, and it's true with the right tools, you can do pretty much anything, you know. And we have such, uh, I know so many support group leaders around not just the country, around the world that are doing such wonderful work, and, and not just like in, in Facebook, because a lot of the Facebook groups are wonderful. Uh, but in, in actual physical groups, you know, and even if they can't meet personally, they meet virtually. There's a lot of power to local. I mean, I want to double down on this. There's a lot of power for local groups. When I tell, when someone call, contacts me from a certain state, I'll say, have you contacted this group? And I'll give them a name because we know who, where we live, who, who are the doctors that are good and who, I hate to use the word stinks, but you know, <laughs> Some doctors you just don't want to go to if you have a certain condition. So it's really real. I want to double down on the my 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 appreciation and support of support groups because that's a there's a huge power in that. There really is, and the, and this was my thing. I had my first experience when I was a disc jockey. When we were going over into we had to add Facebook for giving away tickets for contests mm-hmm. like that. I did it. And I couldn't give away concert tickets. Somebody Mm -hmm. on there and said something that it's a beautiful day. They're washing their Jeep and they got all of these responses. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes of my life, I'll never get back. I don't understand Facebook. I can talk. That's about it. (laughs) And that's what what you work with because you're good at this. Well, I try, but thank you. Thank you for your other kind words. That means the world to me, but uh, it really does. But when I was running into brick walls with the doctors, they finally just said, I don't have any more answers for you. You need to join yeah. a Facebook support group. Mm-hmm. And my mouth dropped. And I went, <laughs> what? I said, you tell me never, Dr. Google. You never. Now you're sending mm-hmm. And now. Well, you know, Christy, you know this as well as I do. Dr. Google, most people found out about their condition or suspected their condition through the internet. Yeah. Through Dr. Google. Yeah. And that's. I mean, I'm speaking as an advocate of 23 years. Majority of people I met, that's really where they found out or suspected they had a certain condition. And that's a very powerful source. Of course, you have to weigh everything. You know, you have to be careful what the information you're getting is actually accurate and true. Um, But, you know, with with doctors, I I tend to tell people, you know, you get it. Well, you have to build a strong medical team of doctors that believe you. That's essential. They have to believe you. If they want to learn, it's easy. There's so much out there that really is great information, like the VVS, like the book Disjointed. You know, and I'm not saying because I, I swear I'm not saying because I'm a book. It is one of the best books written on the condition. I did just go ahead and get yeah. it. You really did you? Yeah, I, I would, did you get it? Okay, good. It's good. I, I so far mm-hmm. I've been impressed. It just didn't have enough about fashion in it for me, but I was like, but there's so much more. <laughs> Well, that, that's when you're going to come in and write. I can also introduce you to people who write, maybe you write a book on fascia. Oh, wow. And, and include the research because anything is possible. It's, I, I tell people, and especially uh, younger researchers, younger, younger advocates, younger, don't let everyone dissuade you if you want to do something. You know, there, there's, there's so much possibility with purpose and, and progress has to come by due diligence, not by, you know, I, I use the term, I, I love the old term, actions speak louder than words, because words mean nothing. Yes. True action behind them. That's, you know? that's very true. And, I, and I'm also, and I have been uh, disappointed a couple of times, but I, I do believe in like a firm handshake and your work. Mm-hmm. I, I go back to the old, old Andy Griffith days back on <laughs> you said you were going to do it. 
I, mm -hmm. I expect to hold you to it because I just want to believe in my heart that there are good people in this world. And, and there are, you know, yes. you just have to, mm -hmm. to, to, to just, it, I always say water seeks its own level and you mm -hmm. surround yourself by these individuals. And like you said, the local support groups, they are important. Uh, yes. Hope with AWA Zebra, I'm bringing together like a virtual community because we have started a, a book club. And so we're trying to do that because we can't just get up and go out to the pubs. No. And no. We can't. Well, you know, and also you can, because you can also send me the information. You know, I'll describe a very large, beyond large uh, reach as far as not just Facebook, but multiple other mediums of getting information out there. And what you're doing is, is so awesome because it's not like, oh, I want to, you know, make a name for myself or I want to, you know, be a millionaire. That's, that's not your purpose. You want to, you want to survive. Like we, of course, like we all want to do, but you're doing something that's really beneficial. And a lot of people need that, um, especially in a, a community, because a lot of people feel so alone. They don't have anyone. And uh, that, that, that what you're providing is something that's, that's strengthening and helpful and it's very caring. So I want to tell you that. Well, that, thank you. You're, you're making getting ready to make me cry. He's <laughs> <laughs> the world to me. I, I always tell everybody, I'm like, we have been put into a club we didn't ask to be in, and I to lead us into something. I said, but you're right. <laughs> I don't know where, but we're going somewhere together because mm -hmm. it's time. It's time that we don't feel like we're bothering individuals. Mm -hmm. It's time that we are able to get our voices heard and be heard. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to do. So, wow. Yeah. You just, you just yeah. you feel and, awesome. And the other thing, Christy, is, is, is a, truth and accountability is so important in our whole life. Everything, every part of our life, truth and accountability. I find that I was thinking about writing and <laughs> thinking about writing an article is when did truth and accountability die? Because the, the, I've just seen such a wane in it. And it's so sad because we need that so badly in order to change many things in our lives, especially when it comes to medical care and medical knowledge. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we need medical schools have to stop teaching from the male anatomy. They should be teaching from the male and female anatomy. Women, are, women have a lot of issues that men do not have in the same type, like with cardiovascular or stroke or other. I mean, this is 2024. And this is still present. So there's a lot of change that has to happen. And some of that has to do big time with accountability. Not a matter of truth, but I mean, because it is true what I just said, but accountable for the knowledge that goes out there. Because we don't want doctors to go forward thinking, oh, uh, this is anxiety that brought you in here. No, it's not. She's having a heart attack. You know, do the proper procedures. Take the right test. Don't just do an EKG and... And, and, and an analysis and send her home. Make sure she doesn't have a, 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 an aneurysm, you know, or, or a heart attack. I mean, if those things were done, what that would probably have stopped the, what, what I think there's that, the John Ritter law or the foundation. The, exactly. Yes. Okay. So if, you know, because of what happened to him now, ERs have to test for, the situation that he had going on, like first thing now, they have to consider it where, it, you know, it shouldn't have gotten that mm -hmm. far. It shouldn't have. No, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have got that far. And, and with John Ritter and others, many, many others, they don't present as if they have some sort of aneurysmic issue or genetic, genetic issue. And we're, you know, we're, I'm not quite sure about if anything was proven if he had a genetic disorder. There were rumors, but I usually don't listen to rumors. Yeah. Um, but with, with even today, unfortunately, uh, hospitals will do a chest X-ray. Now, chest X-rays are nice, but they don't absolutely rule out an aneurysm. A lot of times it's missed. So if somebody has a history of early death, stroke, heart attack in their families, I tell people insist on a CAT scan. You know, really? Okay. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's just I've helped many families uh, that were in emergency rooms, and they were going to send their their daughter or son home, and they had Marfan syndrome, or they had those beats, or you know, mostly those two. And uh, I said, um, what did they do? What testing? Oh, they did blood work, EKG, 
uh, with the vital signs and uh, they did a chest x-ray. And I'll say, well, you, your family has this condition. It's in the record. You know, I would say, can, I can always suggest, I can't insist that they do a CAT scan. And a lot of the times, unfortunately, well, fortunately, they found aneurysms that they missed. Uh, My goodness. So. And they would have just been sent home. Yeah, I've had surgeons tell me that actually did surgery on several of these people uh, that if they hadn't gotten that message of getting of having the test done, a couple of them would have died within months or even sooner oh. from the section. So it's 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 a preventative thing, you know, that needs to be to be known. But there's a lot of stuff that needs to be known. The, the only the only way we're going to get this information the best caliber possible is in the medical schools. And you know, that's the foundation. I, well, I, and I can't, and this is not, you know, I'm not trying to like go head to head with you. It's just that you're bringing these things up to me. And this is really no, in no comparison to what you said. But mm-hmm. when I had a woman contact me last year, she was contacting me about fascia. She had just been told that uh, she had breast cancer. Oh. And when she heard my story about a fascial adhesion and that, you know, it wasn't breast cancer, that I ended up having breast cancer, but then something that they had missed that it, it ended up being a fascial adhesion. This was actually when I, it was the end of last year. I'm trying to remember now we're in 2024. She just contacted me in like November of last year. And we were talking about the lump and her breast that she was told mm-hmm. was, uh, was breast cancer mm-hmm. that after she went in with documentation about fascia and my story, it ended up not being skin cancer. Wow. And she never, mm-hmm. she was living in fear. She was so worried because she's like, my mother had cancer, my grandmother mm-hmm. had cancer. And now they've just told me before Thanksgiving that this is happening and she was able to do a little bit more research like you encouraged Mm -hmm. the individuals you were working with that she did totally on her own because of things she Mm -hmm. of just going through my group of stuff yes yeah i just was so happy for her because she said christy i was scared to death so god yeah Mm -hmm. i can't imagine i mean the and it didn't have to be that way no it's it's also that's a very good point because um the, you know, there's a different situation in the ER versus going in for, pri- you know, for your uh, inpatient care. There's different levels of information and knowledge, et cetera. But we can't take for granted, that, oh, the doctor knows everything. You know, there's still some people with that mentality and that's a dangerous thing to do unless they actually not know everything. But we have, we have doctors that are really good. Doc- I have very good doctors. I trust them. But I know they don't know everything. Nobody does. Right. I mean, the question is learning. And what you just found out was, yeah, they could have gone in and aggressively thought that was cancer. And it wasn't, you know, and that's that's dangerous. That's dangerous in itself. But the other things I'm going to bring up real fast, if you don't mind, is um, invisible disability is kind of a curse for a lot of us who have chronic illness. And that's something that has to be addressed because we, uh, I, I say to, um, to doctors or anyone that's willing to listen, is that on the outside, I just, just look just fine. I, if someone were to see me, they'd say, wow, he's disabled. I say, well, I look just fine on the outside, but inside I have a hurricane that's constantly brewing, constantly moving, constantly happening, and it never stops, you know. Um, and and that's, that's important to know, because a lot of people try to figure ways to communicate with their doctors and their family about their conditions is you have to make it relatable. Like I mentioned about a cold or a flu or about pain. Right. You know, uh, I've had, I'm on a lot of front lines in advocacy work and one of them is chronic pain. And I'll say that, you know, uh, well, you know, when you have pain, you know, I'll say, I said to one team of doctors when they were, they were very adamant against opiates. And I said, well, I only, the only thing that works for my pain is hydrocodone. That's the only thing that works. Everything right. else I, I can't find any can- a cannabinoid that works for me. Um, so I said, well, can you imagine if I told you when you had a toothache, you could not go to the dentist, but I want you to rub your gums and think positively and take an aspirin. What would you tell me? And they would basically say, you know, I'd tell you to go to hell. I said, well, that's what you're doing to us by not allowing allow us to have a, a drug that we need that works for us to lower our pain. 
you know, it's not addictive to us. It's, it's, we're, we're not addicted to it. We're dependent on it. Just like with diet with, um, insulin for diabetes. Right. You know? it's, 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 I mean, I just, because I got so frustrated, I took mm-hmm. in my pill safe to my last appointment. I had a friend come with me. She was, she's a lawyer, but she's mm-hmm. a friend. I had her come with me and I took in everything. I said, here is all of my medication. I keep it in a pill mm-hmm. safe. I allow myself what I'm allowed. And if I have right. left over, that's good. I said, I need it so I can function because it gets that bad but I don't abuse it. And you are taking that away from me. Exactly, exactly right. And, and the, the, the bigger picture on this is like with the CDC, with the guidelines that they made, they really needed somebody on that team when they were doing the guidelines who was actually a, a chronic pain patient. I mean, chronic pain doctor. Yes. A high caliber chronic pain doctor. They had multiple, multiple chronic pain patients. They, I was told by a very good source that they did not. That's a huge mistake. Yeah. You can't make a guideline without someone like that. You know, the pain is not <laughs> pain is not mostly psychological. You know, there are definitely psychological components to chronic illness, absolutely, but they don't cause the structural um, psychological issues. Don't cause tethered cord or Chiari malformation. You know, or aortic dissection. Um, they just don't. Those are structural issues. Um, and then um, the other thing I want to say is that um, another part of my major advocacy work has always been is advocating for women because women have, are highly disrespected in the community, in hospitals and, 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 and in life, which is nuts because it's 2024. So that's why it's more important to empower women to realize there is information out there that backs your condition. There is information for support. And don't have a doctor that doesn't doesn't want to listen listen and learn to you. Listen and learn because no one should ever be told this is in your head. You know that's I think that's a super crime. It, Do no harm. You it, know? Yeah. That, that's your code. And I no and seeing that when mm-hmm. when my doctor the, the the last neurologist I think I went through seven before I finally got the diagnosis. Mm, but he I believe it. He was trying because he saw the bruises all over me. Well, we bump into things and I was having my fascia worked on. So there were adhesions, there were bruises. So they were trying to get my husband out of the room because they wanted me to tell them that I was being domestic. You know, I was being physically Mm -hmm. abused by my husband. Mm -hmm. As he was examining me, the doctor dislocated my knee. Wow. Yeah. I was like, okay. And then my husband came back and I was like, my husband's not leaving because he's not abusing me. And then when right. he me to walk, he's like, well, you're standing there. And my husband went, well, she's got braces on. Mm-hmm. I believe with encouragement, you will walk. I said, you could put a million dollars at the end of that hallway and it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Yes. It's a big mm-hmm. insult in anyone's face. And how I appreciate that you want to advocate for women in this scenario because it really I, I hate to say it's harder. It's, it's, it's not, but we get a double standard, I think. There's a double stand. And of course, you got the medical part of it, like I mentioned about the male anatomy, female anatomy. That's just crap, you know? Yeah. The, the, the other aspect isn't just to tell you, because I know you, I know you're probably running out of time, is, is um, I come from a family of four women, four strong, intelligent, motivated Greek women, okay? I say Greek because the Mediterranean, uh, very strong-willed people. And um, my mom uh, was amazing. She was just, she didn't think she was, but she was. And she and her mother, my grandmother and my two sisters, she worked really hard to instill in us that we had to work really hard to make something of ourselves, but to do it in a way that we helped the world not take away from the world, you know, and she had very good values. And those values, I definitely learned from her. But I mention this because uh, women are very strong. And in fact, I find them, sorry, guys, but <laughs> I find and on average, women are a lot more, a lot stronger than men. And also intellectually, uh, there's certain way, certain things they grasp that men don't. And that probably has to do with our social um, standards as far as men go. But the thing is that with education and, and, and you have to really understand what you're talking about with, 
where doctors should never speak unless they actually know. I love doctors that say, I don't know. You know, I'll find out. I'll look into this. Instead of acting as if they know or they're dismissive. And um, the other thing I want to say is, is, is there's some, I call them jewels. I love to share the jewels because they're important. They're quick and you can learn quickly from them. One of the jewels is, you know, to explain somebody your fatigue or your pain is talk about having a cold or a flu every day, you know, um, or talk about chronic pain. Talk about, like I said, with the with having to do with a dentist, you know, as far as the need for for something to, to quell that pain. Um, I had um, quickly I had a doctor that actually was I helped with. She had two. Uh, patients that had Marfan syndrome and, and uh, the, the mom, uh, she was so excited that I would talk to the doctor about, because they were filing for disability. I was working on both cases for them. And so the doctor called me and when she called me, uh, I go through my usual, you know, questions of her and she of course answer her questions. So I first asked, I said, do they have a clinical diagnosis or a genetic diagnosis? She said, it's clinical. And I said, and then I, you, some of your viewers will pick up on this quickly. So I said, well, do, do you know that the two girls have any issues with Novocaine, the, yeah. the dentist? And she said, well, I'm not aware of that. I said, I'm not sure. So then I, because I was trying to see if it was a false diagnosis of Marfan's and it really was Ehlers-Danlos because that happens quite a lot. So as I'm going through the comorbidities of EDS, she stops and I can't hear her. I, I thought I lost the connection. And she says, John, you just described me. Ah. Oh. And I said, really? I said, she goes, yeah. She goes, I've been trying to find out what the hell's been going on with my body for the last, I'd say, 18 years. And she works for one of the major hospitals in the country. And I said, um, and I went through a couple more of the comorbidities. So I said, this is what you need to do. I hooked her up with a geneticist that I knew, basically took her in a week. Uh, and so, and she, she has other stamos. She has hypermobility EDS. She had the tilt table test done for POTS. She had, um, she has mast cell. And why I'm bringing this up is because here at a prominent institution, she's a doctor and they missed, they missed it all those years of putting two and two together. And all they had to do is go to Dr. Google and oh. throw in six of the symptoms and they would have had the suspicion of elder stamos oh you know my goodness i'm telling you john rodas this has been one of my favorite interviews today <laughs> and i thank you want to get you back on before we go what how would you like if individuals the the connective tissue coalition how would you like them to connect with you uh, they can go to the website, uh, Connective Tissue Dis um, God, my brain. See, brain fart just hit me. I got you. Uh, ConnectiveTissueCoalition.org. You can contact me directly through there. Uh, also, my email is uh, jrmarfan, M-A-R-F-A-N 58, at AOL.com. I use that a lot for my advocacy. And wow, did I miss the major train just now? I didn't tell you, Christy, in the audience. I have Ehlers-Danlos as well as Marfan syndrome. I have the fibrillin-1 gene genetically, and I meet majority of the comorbidities for HEDS. Can you have both? Yes. Marfan's is fibrillin, Ehlers-Danlos is collagen. And I'll leave you with one quick reason why I brought this up is because one doctor said to me, a geneticist, oh, you know, it's almost impossible of having both. And I said, what if a Marfan man meets a Ehlers-Danlos woman? You know, Marfan men normally are, are taller. Some women are attracted to a taller man. They marry and have kids. He's had a big smile on his face. You're right, Sean, because each of them has a 50% chance of passing on their gene to their children. So it is absolutely possible. You, I have, it, my husband and I were just talking about the other day that about being the rare person that has the two, like, mm -hmm. house always says you can't have two things and, and be, no. It is possible. And you just put a big smile on my face. And well, you know, Christy, you and I and everybody else that has multiple would rather win Powerball than have what we have. But we have what we have and we deal with it. Exactly. So. I, can, if you want to share the lottery, let's talk later. Let's go. Yeah. John Rodas, Connective Tissue Coalition. Thank you, sir, for giving me and the audience this time. I want to get back with you. Thank you're you welcome. for your kind words. Thank you for all you're doing. John Rodas, Connective Tissue Coalition. Thank you for coming on AWOL Zebra. Thank you, Christy. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, sir. Have a lovely day.
You too. All righty, everybody. That was John Rodas. I've been waiting for that interview, and I'm so excited it got through today. I'll catch you tomorrow. Christy Lynn Hanshi, AOL Zebra. Have a lovely day.